Hello all and welcome to the On-Premise IT Roundtable Podcast, the only show that usually dares to be both on topic and on location, asterisk, extenuating circumstances do apply. Each time we meet, we bring together IT luminaries from across disciplines to discuss a single concept. In this iteration, we'll be discussing if physical distancing is possible in the age of COVID-19. Of course, before we jump into this topic, we need to know who is around the round table today. So let's get it started. Tony, let the fine people know who you are. Hi everyone, I'm Tony E. And uh, my Twitter handle is show IP interface brief. And uh, I work for a small government contractor in the mid-Atlantic region. Hi, I'm Tina Rosenthal and I am, am G-Minx on Twitter. I founded a company called Digital Sunshine Solutions um, to help marketers talk more intelligently and about um, IT. And I'm in Austin. Hi, everybody. I'm Jody Lemoyne. I run Tishco Networks, which is a small escalated networking services provider in Ontario, Canada. Uh, I blog at ghostinthenet.info, and my Twitter handle is at ghostinthenet. And I, of course, am your humble moderator for this discussion. Rich Droppolino, you can find me on Twitter, at Mr. Anthropology. So let's begin the, the topic we're going to discuss. You know, this is, you know, we're, we're being told every day that it's so important to maintain this physical distance to stem the tide of COVID-19, you know, flatten the curve is kind of uh, the parlance of our time. And the issue, though, is that how possible is that or to what degree is that possible when we're dealing with IT support? You know, there was a, a story in the news the other day that Microsoft is, you know, prioritizing a, a, a service for Azure for first responders. And as part of that, they're working with local governments to make sure that, you know, data centers have people in them uh, in case there are issues, you know, around the globe and on all their kind of points of presence and all of their uh, mega data centers. And so that, you know, that brings to the question, you know, like these, a lot of these services are enabling people to act remotely. But you know, how much can support really uh, be part of that, given that remote work is so important in this day and age? Jody, I'm wondering if you have any thoughts on that. Well, actually, yeah, most of my business is built on remote support. Uh, I would say 99% is built on remote support. Uh, it does change the dynamic of how you do things. Uh, most of my work is networking. Uh, don't necessarily deal with a lot of the servers and the big iron and that sort of thing. But if networks need replacing, then we ship out hardware. If we have even one person on site who can follow instructions and plug things in, we ship things pre-configured, we make it happen. Everything else is handled through remote, remote control processes and uh, makes it pretty easy. But the process does have to be adjusted to accommodate. And Gina, I'm wondering what your experience uh, with that is. So my experiences are pretty old. I'm was super interested in hearing um, what people had to say about it because I think you have to have a lot of these things if you want to do them remotely. You have to have them set up beforehand. So honestly, it kind of like this disaster recovery. Did anybody think about having to support users when they're at home? And I wonder how many of us have become the default. Um, support teams for different organizations. I know, you know, like you think about the moms who are now getting on Zoom to go to church, you know, I know I had to help my mom with that. So, you know, there's, there's only so much you can do without not being physical. So 
I have questions about like desktop support or just like helping people get connected to the to the network and things I've seen that I'm interested in hearing from you guys is um, people realizing they don't have the physical capacity to handle networking at home or the physical capacity to to do any kind of sharing. So I wonder if anybody's been directly involved with that. Uh, Tony, uh, any experience? Yeah, yeah, I'll take that. Um, uh, from my experience, it's been a while since I did um, help desk style support, right? I'm not visiting people's desks and swapping out hardware anymore. But um, mostly a lot of the administrative tasks that we can all do can be supported remotely, right? Most people, most of the management of networks, right? Uh, you VPN in to some sort of management network or, 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 or sub BRF. Um, there are still elements of this job though when you're dealing with large enterprises, like, like you mentioned, rack and stack, rack and stack and cable. Um, right now, I'm actually having a project that's a little bit delayed because we can't get people to travel to location to do the rack, stack, and cable. And um, while we can do the administrative and operational tasks remotely, the hands-on is still very hard to pull off. Now, that's not that's not every day that's a problem. That's given the current confines of everyone trying to sort of take precautions and self-quarantine given, given the, the era we're in. But, but rack stacking cable before you can actually get remote access to something is, is increasingly more difficult today. So Jody, I'm, I'm wondering, you know, you're, you're saying you're 99% working remotely. Is that a function of a, of a conscious choice on, you know, how you've built your business or is, and, and have you seen any resistance to that uh, approach, you know, kind of throughout um, your career when you're working with businesses? I'm, I'm curious. Um, not really a lot of resistance, but I'll, I'll say most of my business is escalated support. So I deal with a lot of small business providers and a lot of medium business providers who are really good with their, their Windows servers and things like that, but then kind of get the whole deer in the headlights look when people start talking networking. And so I white box my services to them. They deliver the service. Everything looks good. So I have people with basic technical skills to be the hands and eyes to set things up. Um, that hasn't really changed. But word of mouth being what it is, I've picked up quite a few customers where I am the direct support and I'm having to deal with non-technical people. And I find it requires a little bit of patience, but when it comes to rack and stack work, you can talk a non-technical person into, through rack and stack fairly easily. You just have to be really patient, send some very details detailed insert tab A into slot B instructions <laughs> and pictures are really good. Lay it out how it is. When the equipment ships, you make sure the full Ikea instruction set is in there and they can put it all together fairly easily. And if there's any troubleshooting to be done, a little patience and a little walkthrough makes it work. That's excellent. Yeah, I, I for one, unlike Jody, I don't work from home um, or work remotely most of the time. Most of the time, I'm in an office, um, either my company's office or I'm on site with the customer. Um, so, right, so I service local customers and agencies. So I get to travel there, um, you know, within my metropolitan area. And working from home is quite a shift. Um, it's a personal shift. I can still execute most of the business needs and administrative needs remotely, but it's a personal shift. I, for one, am the kind of person I like to be in the office. I like to 
go make coffee and talk to so-and-so by their desk. And, and, you know, I got a whiteboard here, but I like to just, you know, someone says, Hey, Tony, I get this networking question. Can we just hop over to the whiteboard? Yeah, absolutely. Um, these are just things that sort of happen in passing being human to human. That is obviously being reduced in everyone working from home. So for my company, we use Slack as a form of messaging and Slack has a great call button, a video call button. And every morning at 8 a.m., I fire up the video call and I do exactly what we're doing here and just let people pop on and pop off throughout the day who want to hear a voice and see a face. And hey, Tony, I got this networking question. In fact, I helped a, a coworker troubleshoot something through our video call. And um, so, so I don't work remotely. So working from home, while it can be done and all of our tasks can be executed, I think mostly, not everything, right? Mostly. Um, it's a personal choice for me to go to the office. So this is a real big shift. Gina, I wonder what, you, you know, you would kind of mention you, you know, kind of old school. Uh, what's, what's been the impact in terms of, um, uh, you know, from, from your IT practice, I guess, what has been the impact of, you know, not having that choice of working remotely of that kind of being foisted, uh, I'm wondering. Well, for me, I've worked remotely for a really long time. All of my teams have been remote for probably the last seven or eight years, even when I was in the big vendors. Um, mm. So I've been my own IT forever, but running a small business, um, that's the last thing I want to deal with um, because I have I, the business part of it, the stuff I do is easy peasy. I love it. It's great. Um, the having the, the extra stuff of being an owner of having to deal with financials and things like that. I hate, I'm learning it. I'm learning to do it. The <laughs> IT stuff I know how to do, but you get stuck. And I think um, some of it is, you know, I just started doing this a few months ago, so I'm still building up the patterns and I use a lot of cloud services in that. But you have to have, even you know, for a small business, you have to have all of that set up correctly. So now that I can't you know, jump in the car and run to a coffee shop and meet with somebody, I have, you have to have, well, what is the right messaging? What's the easiest messaging for me to talk to someone? Because maybe they can't, because of how their corporate schema is, maybe they can't get to me with Gmail and they, with Google Suite, and they don't want to do that with their home stuff. So very... Um, much of, I think there's a lot of things that have to go on that you understand the technologies you're using, you get them all set up the way you want to use them. And then it's just um, a cadence of making it expand and contract to what it needs to be. But having to jump around, I mean, I think that's probably one of the hardest things. Everybody uses Slack, so that's okay. Everybody mostly uses Zoom, but sometimes they don't. Some, it's just different communication vehicles. So that's, for me, the hardest thing. I know um, when, I, when I was a sysadmin a long time ago, this is like way before people were working from home at all. I just can't imagine some of the, the things we had to do with desktop support now with Solaris desktop, so that made it, you know, <laughs> a long time ago. Um, you know, they, we had to work with users that were very technical, but did not want to follow the rules. So I can imagine someone that's, you know, still responsible for this network and responsible for, you know, keeping everything going at home. So the business keeps going. That must be a nightmare if you have a very technical crew. And then the other side, if you've got an office with a lot of non-technical people, what if they can't get connected? What if there is a legitimate problem and it's your IT issue to, out laptop what happens like what can you do for them and um i you know i feel bad for those guys <laughs> i really do i hope everybody's doing okay 
Yeah, yeah, actually, I have a story about um, a help desk problem, a real help desk problem that happened last week um, to, to a coworker um, who, who works uh, one of my customer sites. His laptop actually crashed. And the building that he would normally go to, in this case, it was a mandatory re-image. And the building that he would normally go to is not accepting unauthorized visitors by any means, right? You have to have a reason to be there um, and you have to have something signed or some communication by leadership that says you're allowed to be in this building. Without that, he couldn't do anything. So he went four days without it before being able to get into a building just to get a laptop re-imaged. That's not something we can do remotely, at least not very well or efficiently, right? <laughs> um, that's, that's one of those things that has to be dealt with hands-on. And you know, like you said, when users are having a problem, if it's something that's severe, you have to go in and then it's different if this was just a volunteering, like, Hey, everyone in the country work from home for a month, but there's like a mandatory, like stay six feet away from other people. You know, there's all these different guidelines to follow. So how do you do this hand to hand person to person exchange uh, on pieces of equipment and stuff that's becoming increasingly more difficult. I know the joke has been that this is the year of VDI, but you know, it still <laughs> doesn't do anything with you do drop ship people new laptops and they have two laptops now, you know, are they going to be able to set it up? And I know, you know, at VMware, we did have software that was actually really good for that it would come and you would just drop things on and connect and it, it pretty just pretty much just worked. It was great, but not everybody. I mean, that's again, that, that's kind of like looking, what is that disaster? Um, preparedness do you do you ever think who thought of including everybody has to work from home like I, I have never seen that on a on a disaster preparedness plan at all but, or the, the well and a lot of the you know disaster recovery or disaster impact plans are specific to your organization so it's like if this building burns down you know how do we do this or or if you know you know, something catastrophic happens to something of ours, but not like everything is happening to everybody all at once is a totally different yeah. scale, which is just, you know, like how do you account that all of Europe was going to log on to Microsoft Teams at once? You know, like <laughs> this is nobody's playbook, right? Um, but what, what the, I think that's interesting to me, you know, um, Tony, you mentioned, you know, that, that laptop re-imaging issue. That to me strikes me as like a, oh, I totally forgot that that's probably going to come up like next week or something like that. But as this drags on, you know, we don't know how long we're going to be living in the world of, you know, uh, physical distance from one another or, or you know, self-quarantine or whatever you want to call it. What are some of the long-term things that maybe we're not thinking about that may become IT issues down the road? Jody, do you have any thoughts on that? Well, I think capacity is a big issue. Like we're, we're dealing with situations where, let's say you've got organizations that have VPN capacity into their facilities that are designed for the occasional work from home user or the occasional tech support access. And then suddenly they go from needing somewhere between two and 10 accesses simultaneously to between 100 and 200 accesses simultaneously. Um, and the infrastructure is not built for that. And in many cases, the hardware isn't built for that. And you know, you could upgrade the hardware, but that's not usually a tactical decision. That's more a strategic decision and good luck with the supply chain right now. So if you're getting new hardware, you may be looking at a little more than tomorrow to get it set up. So we're definitely looking at 
solutions that we might not have otherwise considered, a little bit of thinking outside the box, a little more reliance on open source ideas to make things work. Um, we're, we're seeing a little more uh, relaxation in how we do things. You know, one thing that I hope happens is um, when people with disabilities especially have have always asked for some of these accommodations to be at home and they've always been told no, no, no. And that's more of a cultural than a technical thing. And it's obvious that that's a cultural versus a technical thing. So what would be nice is once, you know, we do get to go back to being close to each other again, is if, you know, there was some space carved out to talk about that for people who aren't able to go in and, but that, you know, maybe, you know, you, you do need to stay home with your, your sick family or stay home for whatever reasons. Um, it would be nice if we carved out a space to say, hey, remember that time where we were all locked down? There is a way to do this and there's a way to do it securely and there's a way to, to do it um, from a cultural standpoint too. That would be amazing to enable people that have been told no for forever when it's very obvious now that it's not technically impossible. Well, if there's a silver lining to any of this, it's a potential cultural shift. Yeah. We're, we're looking at a situation where maybe we're starting to realize that stuffing a whole bunch of people into really dense urban centers isn't a great idea all the time. Mm -hmm. uh, DR plants that involve everybody going to one facility off-site to set up their offices aren't necessarily going to cover all the solutions. Um, the managers who absolutely insist on having their employees in the office all the time where they can watch them have always been seen as dinosaurs, but now they're being seen as socially irresponsible. Yeah. It's, it, it's a cultural shift that's going to be interesting, and this may actually be a revitalization to small communities. What if your company can be decentralized? What if you don't have to be in the middle of a big, a big city? You can have five people working in, you know, somewhere out in the middle of nowhere and five people working somewhere else out in the middle of nowhere, but still be able to collaborate as a team. This is potentially good for dying communities that are out in the middle of nowhere. They can be revitalized. I totally agree. Hopefully it'll happen. Yeah. And Tony, any kind of long-term impacts or silver linings that you're seeing out of all of this? Um, for IT support specifically. <laughs> for IT support specifically. Well, um, the silver lining here is, is right, in the current stressors that we're experiencing, not just personal, but, but our IT stressors, our hardware, our equipment, our network bandwidth, um, it's helping us to sort of reevaluate, right, our scale and availability and the availability of the services we use. Um, my company strategically uses mostly cloud available products, Office 365, Slack, things that we don't have to host in our data center. If you don't VPN in, you can still conduct some people 100% of their day, um, completely connected. Um, the only thing we lack is maybe um, network shares, which are touched uh, if need be. So. The silver lining here is, is everyone sort of reevaluating everything. I know when COVID-19 first hit and everyone got, mo I'm not going to say everyone, most people got a mandatory work from home. All of the tickets that were coming in from all of the customer sites and, and calls were related to uh, VPN planning, scaling, and availability. Um, like Jody mentioned, um, the scale is a little different on my end, but we're going from you know, a, a class C, 250 users, right, to about 2,000 users. So we needed to be able to grow the VPN IP space 
at not just one site, but you know, a hundred sites. How do we grow that at a hundred sites? Sometimes that neighboring class C isn't available. So how do you get that contiguous, you know, IP space so you can just do one quick slash and do summary routing so, to solve those problems? The, the silver lining here is it's making us reevaluate and really think about how do we operate decentralized as, as Jody and Gina brought up. It's, it's just, it's, it's changing the way we think. And, and one of the things that you mentioned, Rich, was disaster recovery. I think the majority of disaster recovery plans covers the recovery of data and doesn't often cover the human side of that. And I think that's what we're seeing here is the effect of the human side. While we're not scarce, right? We're not, you know, God bless, most of us aren't dying off. We're all here and ready to work and capable, but plans haven't been put in place to allow all of us to work in our full capacity if we're not in the office. I think that's a really interesting point because this is very unusual because, and that's why it's so hard, especially for younger people to realize what's going on. We don't see bad things happening. It's spring. It's gorgeous outside. We are all okay. We're all, you know, pretty much everybody, you know, we talk to everybody. So working is financially okay. So there's all of this pent up energy that comes from what's going on and that uncertainness of it. So how do you have the IT planning in place so that you can capture that pent up energy to keep people, let them, let people use it for, you know, that extra stuff on work and not be frustrated because they can't connect or they don't have the bandwidth or all the other things. That's like maybe a goal to put in the DR plans for the future. Yeah. And, and <laughs> Oh yeah, go on, Tony. Uh, I, I was going to say, Rich. Another thing that I'm seeing as a as an effect of this is because everyone is so reliant on the network for connectivity, um, even outside of your enterprise, but just reliant on on everyone being able to connect one way or another. Um, it has pushed a lot of changes and migrations and implementations of software and hard hardware projects um, to the right for me. It has it has moved them in the calendar because everyone's remote and everyone says like, well, we don't want to implement a change right now, you know, because we don't want to cut everybody off or we don't want to impact um, everyone's availability. Sometimes changes require sort of taking that network down briefly so you can, so you can implement some redirecting or whatever you're going to do. And, and we're getting a full stop on a lot of projects because of that. Like, Hey, if you have to touch the network, it has to be a zero impact change. Yeah, that it certainly is. That's something I hadn't even thought of in terms of, you know, impacts and especially long term as, you know, things get more and more deferred and, and how do we manage those? I think that'll be really interesting to see going forward. But kind of, you know, wrapping up, I, I think it's interesting that, you know, a lot of people have kind of said, okay, well, everybody's locked inside, um, you know, you know, start that next great novel or, you know, take up a hobby or, you know, find something productive to do with your time. And I think that also applies to you know organizational planning you know these are a lot of hard questions that organizations have grappled with you know how to work remotely what's appropriate to work remotely how do you do it safely efficiently that kind of stuff and listen we're, you either have to deal with them or you're not doing business now at this point and uh you know i think when we come out of this although no one would have wished it to come out like this i think um uh, will be it specifically um in terms of a cultural perspective will probably be in a better place for people um, than it was um, going forward just because we have no choice about it. 
Um, but Tony, Gina, Jody, thank you so much uh, for being on the on-premise IT roundtable. Let's go around once again, and where can people find more of your great stuff if they're so inclined? Tony, why don't you start off? Yeah, sure. Um, anyone can find me on Twitter at Show IP Interface Brief. Um, you can get in contact with me there. Um, I have a blog that I haven't blogged very much at. Um, I used it for dumping CCIE um, study topics and, and labs. That's Show IP Interface Brief. Uh, blogspot.com. Gina? Um, so I'll, you can find me on Twitter, G-M-I-N-K-S-G-Minks. And some of what I'm doing with my extra energy is I'm working with an organization called Masked for Docs. You can find maskedfordocs.com. They're looking to kind of harness everyone that's all of the maker community. So if you've got a 3D planner, if you're sewing masks, if your moms are sewing masks, log there. There's a, a Slack invite if you want to get really involved find me on Twitter and I will give you the Slack invite. Um, but I'm doing communication. So whatever talent you have, they, they, they can put you to work. If you've got extra energy and you need to give it to help, this is a great way to do it. Mask for Docs. Docs, yeah, that's, that's awesome. right, Mask for Docs. <laughs> that's awesome. Uh, so everybody, uh, be sure to check that out. And uh, last but not least, our friend up north, Jody. Hi, um, I can be found on Twitter at, at ghost in the net. Uh, I frequently snark, I mean, post on there. And uh, I, I have a blog at ghostinthenet.info, which uh, my New Year's resolution was to post something every two weeks. And I've gotten as far as drafting something every two weeks, but the <laughs> posts may be a little bit out of date. Working on that, I, I seem to have a little bit more time on my hands right now. So we'll see how that goes. Um, hopefully, uh, you'll get something out of that. All right, so thank you, our dear listeners, for listening to the On-Premise IT Roundtable. If you enjoyed the discussion, remember to subscribe, rate, and review the show in iTunes. That really helps our visibility. And share it out with more people if uh, you enjoyed this conversation and think others would as well. This podcast was brought to you by GestaltIT.com, your home for IT coverage from across the enterprise. For show notes about this episode and for past episodes, check out GestaltIT.com slash podcast. Take care, everybody, and remember, have a super sparkly day.